0: There is no place like home. A phrase that seems cliche, but it's true. When you're lost or you just don't feel at home, it can seem impossible to find the way back. And where is home? Is it a place or a structure? Is it a people? Well, the Bible says that home is in a relationship with Christ. So you could say that home is where the heart is. That's today on the podcast. It's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. Christmas is not technically over at the dawn of the new year, but traditionally lasts for 12 more days, just as that famous song suggests. And this week, Pastor Julie continues to look at the birth of Christ and how Jesus being born onto the earth is physically God with us. It's home and there is no place like it. Let's check it out right now. Well, good morning. I love thinking about the new year and thinking about how God is going
1: to shape us and transform us and surprise us with new things. But before we do that, we need to remember it's still Christmas, believe it or not, the sixth day of Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everyone. I know I've heard lots of Happy New Year's, but you're allowed to still say Merry Christmas. So I know you've already eaten your cookies, you've already opened your presents, maybe you've already written some thank you notes, but in the church, we celebrate the 12 days of Christmas all the way from December 25th to January 6th, which is Epiphany. And I love this time of year. I love that you can sort of settle in and slow down. Probably the house full of relatives has gone home. You've put away the air mattresses, right? You've uh, no more presents to wrap, no more special parties or programs or worship services. Uh, we have time to stop and to reflect and hopefully spend some time at home.. As those- Video showed us too. We we spend some time thinking about where we are, where we've been, where we're going. We sort of reflect on um, where we are in life. But pl- probably a lot of us spend some time at home, and we have Dorothy to thank for that great uh, quote that she says over and over when she clicks her heels of her ruby slippers. There's no place like home. Can you tell that's Dorothy? It's a little that sepia tone thing. Anyway, so. Perhaps you slow down at Christmas time and um, decide to watch some Christmas movies. Everybody got some favorites: "It's a Wonderful Life," "Christmas Story," "Santa Claus," "Elf" is a newer one. "Miracle on 34th Street," "Rudolph." Rudolph didn't even make it up there. I don't. Apparently, these are the best Christmas movies. "Charlie Brown Christmas." We all love. And it's interesting to note that so many of them have the theme of home. Coming home, being home, trying to get back home you 've likely heard this past month over uh, the music and the malls the department stores, the christmas song there 's no Place Like Home for the holidays, whether it was uh, perry como 's original recording and I think it was thousand nine hundred and fifty four or one of the many artists that have recorded since Karen carpenter 's uh, one is is pretty famous, Garth Brooks apparently has his version. Uh, It's one we hear over and over. Well, some people would rather uh, not be in a house full of relatives at Christmas. They don't want to deal with all the stress and the cleaning and the preparing and just so much preparation. And instead, they would rather leave home and go on a trip. And that is a theme of a Christmas movie that has become a classic. Can't believe how long it's been uh, in this last uh, almost 30 years, and that is, Home Alone. There's Kevin there. You can see him. Kevin, Home Alone. My family dusted off our DVD and uh, put it in on uh, the day after Thanksgiving. We started the season with some Home Alone. It's hard to believe that that came out in 1990, 28 years ago. Way to feel old. Um, And uh, that was a long time ago. Macaulay Culkin was 10, and now he's 38. We're thinking, what has he been doing all this time, right? I mean, he's sort of made some appearances there, here and there, and apparently some, some, some dark chapters here and there. Well, now he's back. Maybe you have seen this remake of some of these iconic scenes from Home Alone in a commercial for Google Home. They call it Culkin. He's in the same home. He's wearing the same costumes, a little bigger. and uh, But this time, Kevin is a 38-year-old grown man with Google Home and Alexa by his side, And uh, he is checking his calendar, or Alexa is, I guess, um, paying for his pizza online, viewing the delivery boy through his little camera, and even turning up the thermostat. Think of all the things we could do now that we couldn't do in 1990. So if you are not familiar with this Christmas favorite, let me quickly review. Anybody not seen Home Alone? I don't want to assume anything. Who has seen Home Alone? Okay, good. All right. But just a quick review. In case you haven't watched it in a while, uh, the McAllister family from Chicago is ready to go on a trip to Paris with their family, with their extended family. There's Uncle Frank, and I don't know if there's an aunt, but anyway, Uncle Frank, cousins, big, huge family. They're getting ready to leave the country. It's mayhem. They're trying to corral the children, give them pizza, keep track of suitcases and tickets, and this is before e-tickets, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, give him pizza, figure out who's sleeping where. The stress is high. The kids are bickering. Teenage brother Buzz is bullying, harassing his younger brother Kevin, who knows, he knows exactly what buttons to push to make him crazy. You don't have any family members like that, do you? No, okay, good. Um, They exchange harsh words. Mom says, well, maybe you should just go live with another family. And Kevin says, I wish my family would disappear. That's his Christmas wish. And um, Kevin ends up sleeping by himself in his brother's room, which is the attic. So the next day, they sleep through their alarms. It's crazy. They rush off in a whirlwind. Uh, the pile in the van, drive to the airport, go through security, wait to board, file onto the plane, take off, and then somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, it hits mom, and she gasps with panic, Kevin! Where's mom in the plane? There she is, right? Like, oh my goodness, did this really just happen? I found out later. You can see dad actually accidentally threw away Kevin's ticket with the pizza box, and that's why they didn't Figure out that he was missing. Fun fact. Um, anyway, so she realizes they have left Kevin at home. Holy cow, how did this happen? And we think, how, how could something like this happen? Like, how do you forget one of your kids? Well, we know full well that the McAllisters are not the first people to lose track of a child, right? Many a parent has experienced that awful terror of being separated from your child and that sick feeling that comes over you, even if you just lose sight of them for a few seconds. Now, typically, parents and children usually map out a plan when they're going to a, a public space of what to do if you get separated, right? We're letting, You know, find a lost child place or find an adult that works there. And plans like this have come in handy in my family um, more times than I would hope. Uh, the Carnegie Museum at a fall festival, um, I remember the appliance department at Sears, all my son Sam, the first born explorer, um, in fact, he told me the Carnegie Museum was the scariest because he was lost in the dinosaur hall, so, poor kid, traumatized years later. <laughs> So anyway, we had this plan, but I don't think we ever had a plan for what to do if your family leaves on vacation without you. That, that never dawned on us. Well, perhaps you have a story of a time where you were separated from your parents, or maybe you wandered off, or um, maybe you didn't come home at the agreed-upon time as you enter those teenage years. That's a whole, whole new thing of where is my child? Um, if so... You have good company. Uh, Anyone who has ever had a child or been a child or been lost, lost someone, can identify with the story that we're going to hear today from the Gospel of Luke where Mary and Joseph lose track of their 12-year-old son Jesus, who just happens to be the Son of God. And um, I think you will perhaps find yourself in this story. Interesting to note, thinking back of um, Home Alone, you know how we didn't see Macaulay Culkin for all those years? It's like, now you see him, now you don't. He was everywhere, and then he's nowhere, and now he's back. We might say the same thing about Jesus. In the Bible, we have so little about the years of Jesus' childhood. In Luke 2, it goes from Jesus being born to him being presented in the temple at eight days old. Two verses later, he's twelve. And then the next chapter, he's 30. So there's actually one verse that summarizes Jesus' entire childhood. Um, verse 40 in chapter 2. And it says, The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. One verse that covers, like, everything about him, him being a kid. Um, so that's pretty wild. We just we don't really know. What he was like as a toddler. Did he go through the terrible twos? You know, was he good at potty training? Did he go to school? Did he have friends? Um, when my kids were little, especially my son Sam, the thinker, um, he would try to stump me with these questions about what Jesus was like as a child, and um, things I never even pondered before. And his favorite one was, did Jesus ever have a time out? I don't know, and did Jesus, you know, did Jesus talk back to his mom? Probably not because he was perfect. So, you know, we we don't have good answers for this. Now, there is um, actually uh, part of the Bible that was not included or writings, ancient writings, called the Gospel of Thomas. It's considered part of the Apocrypha. There are some childhood stories of Jesus, but the people that compiled the Bible in like the first, second, and third centuries, they decided for whatever reason that was not to be included. They decided it wasn't as inspired or not as, I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons why things made it in, in or didn't. So, But in the Bible, we have the 66 chapters. This is all we got of Jesus, one verse about his childhood. So let's look now at this um, passage from Luke 2. It starts at verse 41. You can follow along here. And I have some pictures from um, uh, a sort of... Um, a movie version of the Gospel of Luke that uses the exact text from the Scriptures. So it'll help you probably visualize it, I hope. So here we go. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it unaware of it. So they're like camping out, right? They're caravanning with hundreds and hundreds of people and extended relatives, and um, they're clueless right now. So thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now they're looking panicked. Can you see panicked dad's face? Let me go back. He's, they can now see, like, okay, this is, this is kind of serious. We cannot find our kid. After three days, imagine not seeing your kid for three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions, asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished and probably pretty angry. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And the son looks like, what? Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them. And was obedient with them. Or it's more like mom grabbed him and said, You are coming with me. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Well, as I already mentioned, there is every parent knows that panic you feel when a child goes missing. And imagine how much more intense it might have been knowing that the child you lost is the son of God. One of the things I love about this story is that it it just seems so much like normal family life, right? I mean, 12-year-old son does something that totally freaks out his parents. Can't we all relate? If you've been a parent of a 12-year-old, Jesus acts like a normal kid. Mary and Joseph just assumed that their son, Jesus, was hanging out with their kids somewhere in the pack of these hundreds of people that are traveling this caravan. Like, you ever go to, like, a football game or some big festival, maybe like the fireman's fair, right? You know, your 12-year-old's kind of out there somewhere, and they'll touch base, and they just figured, you know, he was out there. But they kept walking an entire day's worth of journey, and they, you know, just didn't think it was strange. They didn't see him at breakfast or lunch. They just assumed he was out with his friends, and finally it dawns on them, oh my goodness, he's not here. He is not here. And maybe Mary gasped, like Mrs. McAllister Over the Atlantic, Jesus. I like to think that she did. I know, growing up in a family of seven that took two cars to church every Sunday, it was not unusual for somebody to get lost in the shuffle. I don't know that we ever accidentally left anybody at home, but there were plenty of times when someone was left behind at church, and. Luckily, we only live five minutes away. But there was, uh, you know, again, pre-cell phones. I always remember calls from the church kitchen phone, you know, with the long cord. You know what I'm talking about, kids? With phones. were on the wall. You had a long... Okay. Uh, (laughs) And to hear a conversation, I thought you had the boys. No, I thought you had them. No, remember I had that committee meeting? No, you didn't tell me you had a committee meeting. And on and on it went. And I imagine Mary and Joseph having this similar exchange. I thought you had them. No, no, you said you had them. No, you had them last Imagining them just being normal parents, trying to figure out what to do. Well, there was no next flight home the next morning. There was no uh, polka ban with a uh, rental van offering a ride to Jerusalem for Mary and Joseph. They had to wait three whole days, or it took them three whole days to find their son. It only was a one day back, so that, imagined, that means there were two whole days of panic of anxiety, of searching, deep breathing. I mean, that I, I must have just done Mary. And I can't imagine losing your kid for, for 15 minutes or even five minutes. Um, you know, it's enough to, to make a parent just collapse thinking about it. Um, but there were, there, was no other, there were no cell phones. There was no way to communicate. There was just the anxious searching and waiting. Well, think for a minute about what it is like to lose something that is valuable. Think about the feelings that that conjures up in you. That feeling of, of, of being punched in the gut or maybe you, feel, um, maybe you feel responsible or blame yourself for being careless or, oh, I should have paid more attention or um, maybe just deep disappointment. It can be this visceral, physical feeling. I remember once I... Um, Lost a diamond out of a diamond ring. It was snagged by a mitten, and I looked down, and it was gone. Here's this, like, empty prong thing. And, oh, my gosh, later found it. That's another dramatic story, but that feeling of um, just incredible loss. And, of course, we try to retrace our steps and stay calm, right? How easy is that? Try to breathe deeply. And then you start checking the most likely places, right? Like if you lose your car keys, which I do often, you my kids bought me a special hook, so I put it there the same place every day. still lose my keys. Um, anyway, we, lose our, we check our coat pockets, the countertops, the drawers, the car, and then maybe you look in like you know, the sofa cushions, and the longer you look, the more unexpected, unlikely places you check. So you know if by some chance you find your keys in the freezer, not that that would ever happen to me, but you like say that might possibly happen. Then you're trying to think, how, how in the world did they get here? And, and the freezer was not among the places you would ever think to check. Does this happen to anybody else but me? Okay, good. Um, so say in this, same thing in this story. So Mary and Joseph, they spend 48 hours searching for Jesus. in all the places they had been, all the places they think he might have gone, Till they finally stumble this idea like maybe, just maybe, we should check the temple. Can't hurt. Can't imagine he'd be there, but, you know, let's, we're running out of places to check, so let's check. Meanwhile, Jesus doesn't know that he's lost. We know what it's like to feel lost. What does it feel like to be lost? Kind of like losing that thing on the other side. I was trying to explain to my children before there was a GPS, like people often didn't know how to get places, they get stuck, they take a wrong turn, they may have to stop and pull over and call someone on a payphone to say, we're late, we're lost, we took a wrong turn, we missed the exit. Foreign concepts. Um, yeah, And but again, maybe you, you panic, maybe your heart races and you're breathing quickly or you feel embarrassed or guilty that you weren't, you know, paying attention and uh, made people wait for you, but notice what happens when Mary and Joseph finally find Jesus in the temple. From what we could tell, Jesus doesn't seem panicked, and I love that picture of um, Jesus. I don't know if you can find it, um, where like he doesn't look stressed at all. He's smiling. Like, why are you guys all bent out of shape? Where, what's the matter? Why? He's, he's not lost. In his mind, he is home. He is in his father's house doing what God had prepared him to do. There is no sense of being not where he's supposed to be. He was home. And he was not home alone. He was at home in the temple. And the temple should have been the first place that his parents looked. But they didn't understand what Jesus understood. They, had, they were just getting an inkling of what this child, who this child was, and how he was different. They think it's all about them, right? They get so angry. How could you do this to us, right? Parents always think it's about them. <laughs> they are, have that intense relief Uh, combined with, you know, sort of a little post-traumatic stress of what they've just been through. You know that feeling when you are so angry with your teenager after you discover they've done something so stupid and so unsafe, but you're so grateful that they're okay? You know what I mean? No, me neither. Uh, Anyway, think about what that would have been like for Mary and Joseph. Three days of panic. They don't know what's going to happen next. And hear something they least expected. They find Jesus alive and well. Does that sound familiar? Maybe a little like Easter, resurrection. Three days of panic, and loss, and grief, and confusion go from terrifying fear to great relief that something lost is now found. Well, that happens in our lives, friends. Our searching will come to an end, sometimes with grief and heartache and mistakes and scrapes and bruises along the way. But it can end in new life and meaningful life. A life God intends, but probably not the life that we would expect. And it usually takes a lot longer than three days, so you don't get impatient. So, last question to consider What does it mean to be home? Is it a place? Is it an address? What does it mean to be home? I know it's something we think is important at the holidays. After all the tinsel and the glitter and all the hyperventilating to make Christmas beautiful and perfect and special, it's all about coming back home and watching the story of God's greatest gift of salvation unfold quietly and steadily. We come back down to earth And we come back home. Because that's what Jesus did. He came to us as God incarnate, Emmanuel. I love the verse in John 1 in the contemporary translation called The Message by Eugene Peterson. He says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Think of it like our next door neighbor. Moved into the neighborhood. He came home to redeem the lives that we lead here. And I love that, you know, we've been singing songs about that this morning. The the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that chases us, that pursues us to bring us home. Like the shepherd that leaves the 99 sheep to go follow the one that is astray and bring him home. Or the story of the prodigal son who uh, is welcomed home by the father. Home is when we are at peace with God and reconciled with one another. And also, as we sang, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Not a physical space, but a sense of being in right relationship with God. Well, I think sometimes the sense of God tracking us down and inviting us into God's presence, especially if we've wandered away, happens in very quiet and subtle ways. In unexpected ways. And I don't I don't think it happens with, with fanfare and and angels and trumpets and glitter and gold. I think one of the final scenes of home alone, which could have happened in any family, demonstrates this. It could happen in any home. Remember Old Man Marley? Scary old man Marley. We see old man Marley, the neighbor. Throughout the movie, and the kids are convinced he is scary. With his wispy white hair and his gray beard and his dirty bandages, he's, he's the guy who shovels snow and salts the neighbors' sidewalks, and there are scary rumors about him. I think Brother Buzz has told Kevin that he's really a serial killer, and he beats people with, uh, neighbors with snow shovel, and then he hides their dead bodies in a trash can full of salt. A love lovely thought. But we come to learn that none of this is true. He's a lonely man, cut off from his family due to a falling out with his son. But whenever Kevin sees him, he is terrified. He is sure he's going to become his next victim. But then on Christmas Eve, with the sound of O Holy Night, being sung in the background, they find themselves both in the, the nearby church. And uh, Kevin sees Marley at first and is frightened, but then Marley slips in the pew next to him. And just sort of sits quietly next to him, and it starts this quiet conversation where says, May I sit down? Not so scary. And one of the first things he says is, um, You know you can say hi to me anytime you see me. You don't have to be afraid. doesn't sound all that familiar from the first words of a prophet or an angel and a holy encounter what's the first thing they always say do not be afraid and instantly kevin is not afraid of him anymore and it's, interestingly they have this this very open conversation marley tells kevin that church is a pretty good place to come if you're not feeling good about yourself And they start confessing their shortcomings and their heartaches. And Kevin says he hasn't really been very good this year and nice to his family and probably doesn't deserve any presents. And Marley shares his story about uh, uh, the argument he had with his son years ago and why he can't spend time with them anymore. And he has to slip into church to see his granddaughter from afar as she sings in the choir. Well, Kevin keeps asking questions until we finally realize this old man is not scary or proud. He's just the opposite. He's lonely, he's sad, and he's afraid. Afraid to be vulnerable, afraid to be rejected again. And I love this, this line when Kevin says, well, you should just call your son. And Marley said, no, no, I'm, I'm afraid to do that. I don't know what he'll say. And Kevin says, no offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? And Marley tells Kevin, you're never too old to be afraid. In this season where angels and prophets remind us not to be afraid, this old man and this little boy remind us of something. They remind us that we're all afraid of one thing or another afraid of estrangement, afraid of loneliness, afraid of loss. And what a great message they are to us. How Kevin saves Marley from his loneliness, and Marley saves Kevin. From the burglars later, that's the dramatic ending there. And they both can go home again. And I love in that final scene, Kevin looks out the window, and once his family has returned, his crazy family, and he looks out the window and sees lightly falling snow, and old man Marley is hugging his son and his granddaughter. The man who was really home alone has now find his family, found his family. What was lost is now found. So perhaps we're all just a little afraid of being home alone, whatever it looks like in our lives. But especially in this season of Christmas, that's not over yet. Remember that God has reached out to us in Jesus. Emmanuel. He's moved into the neighborhood and provided a way home. That means that We are never home alone again. So may each of you, friends, experience the warm presence of Emmanuel, God with us, and remember that there's no place like home. Amen.